welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise. And we're going to be talking about the skills gap today. We have three guests on the show that come to us from various areas of expertise, and we look forward to their input. When we come back uh, from some comments from Lou, I'll set the stage on what this skills gap in manufacturing is all about. And then we'll go to our guests and let them answer some questions that we have about uh, how we're going to correct that problem. Lou, how are you today? And what, uh, you've got some news for us on a postscript to last week's show. Uh <coughs> Yeah, we had uh, a remanufacturing uh, show last week. We had uh, Caterpillar on the show, and they talked about uh, remanufacturing of their products, and we learned some very interesting things about old products uh, that are 90 years old that they've refigured and remanufactured, and they're still operating out in the field. So it was a very interesting uh, show. They talked about sustainability of products and uh, certainly a worthwhile uh, uh, show to go back and listen to. That was last uh, last Tuesday. Uh, regarding news, a couple of news bits that came up uh, uh, today, actually, and was uh, printed in uh, uh, USA Today, and some of it was uh, as a result of a Georgetown University survey. Um, and some interesting stats uh, regarding the 6 million jobs that have been added to the economy since the Great Recession. And at 44% of them, or about 2.9 million, uh, income on these uh, folks are $53,000 average plus health care. Another 30% is in the 32 to 53,000. And at 20, less than 32,000, not great uh, great salaries down at the bottom, but uh, it is growing, and uh, uh, it gives you a, a sign that the economy is on the upswing. Uh, secondarily, uh, in automotive uh, sector, uh, Tesla, uh, Tesla stock is expected to rise from $252 to $465 in about three years based on the fact that they are putting together through another division uh, driverless car fleets. And they're going to be running this service um, in various cities around the country, and they expect this will be the reason why uh, their stock is going to take such a, a jump. And if you want to look further into that, go on Google. If you put in Tesla Mobility 1.0, urban transport. Uh, it's an amazing story, considering they've only been in a business a couple of years. My last point, I've got a big question mark attached to it, but I'll give you the news anyway, and then I'll give you the question. General Motors may be importing a new car from China. It's called the Buick by 2016. Uh, it's called the Envision, but it is an American car that I thought we used to make in this country. And now, not only do we borrow all kinds of money from China, we now buy our product back from the Chinese. There's something wrong with this picture. 
uh, Washington, why don't you take a look at it? The unions, get involved. <laughs> this is part of your job. How come we're buying an American vehicle from China? Uh, if I say anything more, I may start drooling all over myself. So, Tim, why don't you uh, take it back over? Yeah, we'll get into the to the skills gap issue. Um, just to give everybody some background, uh, uh, Deloitte Touche Tomazzo uh, is a... Uh, uh, they were originally an accounting firm. Now they're, they do a lot of business analysis, and they have a Deloitte Review Issue 16 that came out in 2015 talking about help-wanted American manufacturing competitiveness and the looming skills gap. And it, the numbers break down like this. Uh, baby boomers are beginning to retire. 2.7 million will retire over the next 10 years. Over that same time period, about 700,000 jobs will be created in manufacturing due to economic expansion. So that leaves 3.4 million jobs to be filled. They expect about 1.4 million workers to be able to fill those jobs who are technically skilled enough to fill those jobs, which leaves a vacuum of 2 million unfilled jobs. So that's the looming skills gap over the next 10 years. It's really here today. In 2011, there were six, some 600,000 jobs in manufacturing that were unfilled due to the fact that they couldn't find workers skilled enough to fill the job. So it's not uh, a forecast. It's a problem that we have today, and we have three people who are going to talk about some of the solutions that they are either involved with or they've been uh, encountering. Uh, first, we have Gardner Carrick. Uh, Gardner is vice president of of strategic initiatives at the Manufacturing Institute. He leads the Institute's research activities, including partnerships and internationally recognized consulting firms and the production of a regular series of reports on the issues and challenges affecting U.S. manufacturing. Gardner, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm going to come back to you in a minute and let you give us, our listeners, a little uh, insight into what uh, the Manufacturing Institute does. But I'd like to introduce Gail Tennant Spock. Uh, I'm sorry, Spack. Uh, Gail is Associate Vice President of Continuing Education and Distance Education at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Great school, been around for 135 years in science and technology research in the state of New Jersey. Uh, she has extensive experience in the area of professional workforce development and continuing education programs and writes and broadly presents on these subjects. Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And last we have uh, Mario Hernandez, who is president of the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation. He's responsible for the recruitment of new business and industry to the San Antonio metro area. And since being president since 1990, he has overseen the location of more than 350 new companies employing nearly 88,000 workers in the San Antonio metro area. Uh, Mario, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you. Very glad to be with you. Garrick, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Gardner, let me come to you first. Uh, the Manufacturing Institute, would you give our listeners kind of a feel for what the Manufacturing Institute is and does? Sure. We are affiliated with the National Association of Manufacturers, and we are really their kind of workforce development arm. So um, we spend a lot of time researching the, the issues that are impacting the workforce in manufacturing, and then uh, designing and implementing solutions to try to address the skills gap challenges that manufacturers are facing. So that includes 
outreach to different populations. It includes involvement with schools. Um, it includes real on-the-ground activities as opposed to what the National Association of Manufacturers really focuses on, which is really the kind of the policy and, and governance side of, of, of things that impact manufacturing. Uh, Gail, give our listeners a feel for the New Jersey Institute of Technology, great school, and the things that you are doing there, particularly as it may relate to uh, you know, solving the skills gap problem. Thank you for your words about NJIT. It is indeed a great school um, with a return on investment. Uh, what that was a few years ago rated number one in the country in that the subjects we're teaching, looking at what students pay for tuition, we are a public research university, uh, comparing that first, uh, the tuition with their salaries in the first year, uh, that gave us number one. That was the data points. Um, because every, it's the STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and management, that this university focuses on exclusively. Related to what my small area of the university does regarding manufacturing is quite exciting because we are focused on, in a collaborative manner, um, on looking at the letter T in the STEM acronym, meaning technology. That's where the majority of the jobs of that you were just describing are. So uh, I'm sure I'll be very happy to talk about some of the specific things we're doing, but I want to emphasize the T. Um, that is really where so much of the job gap and skills gap exists today for our country. Thanks, Gail. And Mario, I want to come to you on the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation. Give us a feel for what you've been doing there, and feel free to name drop it, because you really have a who's who's list of companies that you've helped locate in the San Antonio area. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, as you'd expect, we, we deal in traditional economic development and recruitment of companies worldwide, and, and also, but also in the local business retention and expansion, working with what we already have. In today's economic development world, though, if you're not involved directly in workforce development and even entrepreneurial activities, uh, you're not going to be successful in, in, in economic development. Mm -hmm. It is interesting times for uh, people in economic development because of the shift of, of wealth and, and companies around the world. A lot of that has to do with, uh, with manufacturing. And we've been very fortunate in San Antonio, not a big manufacturing center in San Antonio, but we've been very fortunate to, to see an influx of a lot of new manufacturing, particularly in aerospace and automobile, uh, over the last uh, a few years. Uh, but it is a challenge for us uh, to fill those, those mid-level uh, occupations that are an industry-wide, if not an international, uh, problem. Uh, in, in filling, so it uh, it becomes a big part of economic development. Yes, it certainly is. Those uh, those technical uh, positions are terrifically difficult to to fill right now. This Gail is what you're involved in on a day to day basis. Uh, what is NJIT doing to help answer the pain in the manufacturing marketplace? <laughs> well, we're actually doing two or three related activities. We call them the three M's, <laughs> which is about rebirthing manufacturing 
specifically and focused on New Jersey because we are a public research university in our state, but also on the nation. So there is a coincidence on the program names that all begin with an M. So there's the, So we're not talking about the 3M Corporation. We're talking about 3Ms for manufacturing. Um, the first one is a program called the Advanced Manufacturing Talent Network that I have had the privilege of being the steward for over the last four years for the state of New Jersey. And this one is about connecting across horizontally all the stakeholders in our state and beyond that have anything to do with supplying this workforce or talent gap. So what does this mean? It means we regularly interact with the still remaining some 11,000 manufacturers in New Jersey, all of which are small, mostly all of which are small and mid-sized firms. We, we connect what they say is their workforce needs with people who are, for example, out of work um, from other industries in, in New Jersey. We connect with the educators who are not teaching the right thing to fill the workforce gap, and we're helping them to change their curriculum. We are affecting the and interacting with the policymakers and the nonprofits. So think about the person who is the director of the Advanced Manufacturing Talent Network as a spider in the, in the middle of a web, but a good spider, not a poisonous spider, that is, try, is bringing in all the other stakeholders. So that's what this talent network is all about and has been quite um, effective since we've been doing this for four years in strategic locations of the state where there is assets, strong assets, and, and support and enthusiasm for manufacturing. The second M is a program called MechaForce. It's one word. That's our name for it. Mechaforce, but it's all about apprenticeships and mechatronics education and training. Uh, mechatronics is a new um, discipline that combines electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and IT, and they're calling it mechatronics or advanced manufacturing. So this is the 3D printing you're hearing about, and and the robotics and the automation and these amazing machines equipment that are in um, advanced manufacturing firms across America and the world. This program has actually worked for the last year, funded entirely by the manufacturers in our state. So no, no, gov no government money, um, obviously some from NJIT, which I would call sweat equity, um, and academic and, and instructors. But it's really industry-funded. And this, we have listened to what the manufacturers have said, and we have created a mechatronics curriculum that takes students all the way from um, earning an associate's degree, even possible in high school, to getting industry certification, to getting a job, and 
if um, one wishes a clear path with no loss of time or money towards a Bachelor of Science in Engineering Technology Mechatronics degree. So that's the second M. The third M um, is uh, something that NJIT created in 1996, which is the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Program. It is a one of 59 in the country, and I know Mario must work with your Texas MEP um, and uh, Gardner. You know that obviously we all know about the MEPs. This is the one in the state of New Jersey, and they are focused on the leadership of the manufacturing firms in our state to get them to understand how they can change their processes, their design, their management principles so they can stay alive. So those are the three M's, and we're working all of them, juggling balls in the air, because the solution to this workforce gap is it's going to take everyone from every different lens working together. The three M's. Thank you for the answer. uh, I would like to ask the question about how do all of your uh, entities and all of the duties and responsibilities you have actually reach out into the manufacturing facility itself? I I know Manufacturing Day is coming upon us, and this is going to be the fourth year for that, which we'll talk about later in the show because we also are very much involved in that. But how are you all reaching out to get into the manufacturers to show them there's another way? And uh, I'd like you to expand on that. I'd be happy to. Uh, um, For example, in the Advanced Manufacturing Talent Network, at least one manufacturer is visited every week of the year by the director of that talent network exploring what they need, understanding that they're so desperate for workforce that they are poaching each other's companies. So this is a personal visit to the manufacturers in our state. We also um, um, ran, I'm just giving like last year, some of last year's highlights. There is a Maker's Day phenomena, maker spaces occurring across the country, and we ran one for the state of New Jersey in um, participation and collaboration with the public libraries of the state. And there were 17,000 attendees in 150 different locations where manufacturers came in to show what can be done with your hands and the fun of maker spaces. Um, um, we use websites. We use social media. We use Twitter um, um, to absolutely spread information to in into the companies. So that's I hope that's an example of what we are talking. It's not just sitting in an ivy ivory tower and um, thinking about how we can solve the problem. We are in these companies. Well, that's fantastic and uh, I feel as though that manufacturing talk radio is doing similarly by yes. being able to interact with uh, manufacturers, owners, uh, the shop floor to the C-suite yep. Yep. levels. And uh, I'd like to hear uh, from uh, Gardner as well as uh, Mario as to what you're doing in actually reaching into the manufacturing uh, facility itself. 
Sure. So um, I, I think there's a couple good examples. Um, first of all, we've been trying to um, connect manufacturers with the, the school systems that are really supplying the talent. So um, that can mean a, a, a several different opportunities for connection. It can mean something as simple as as offering tours, like on Manufacturing Day. It can mean actually setting up an internship program where, where they take students from a class for, for part of the, the summer or the school year. It can be a actually a full-blown apprenticeship program where they partner with the, the school system over a multi-year period to, to have a uh, learn-and-earn model to, to train their new workforce. Um, so that's kind of on the education front. On the the what we call the attraction side, really trying to get students interested in manufacturing, we've been working on an ambassador program where you take the younger members of the current workforce in manufacturing, the millennials who are already working at companies, and and make them the spokespersons for the industry in their community. So they're the ones that get to go into schools to talk about their careers, um, go to, to job fairs and, and be the face of manufacturing. Um, and really show individuals, students, that, that there is career, there are career opportunities in manufacturing and that uh, uh, that person is a role model or an example of someone that, that was in, a, in their position not too many years before and now has a, a job and a career at, at a manufacturing facility. So uh, our goal has really been trying to get the manufacturers more personally and intimately engaged in the solutions to solving the skills gap. Um, we spent a number of years really working just on the, the college and, and high school side trying to improve and expand their programs, and I think we've made tremendous progress on that. So now it's really about getting manufacturers in their communities to to, uh, to really be a part of, of those solutions, both from the education side and from the, the marketing and attraction side. Mario, let me pose a question to you. I'm a, uh, a manufacturer. I'm coming into San Antonio, or I'm looking at San Antonio as a possible area to relocate my company. I'm going to need a couple of hundred uh, uh, technical people to fill the jobs that I'm bringing to San Antonio, and I sit down with you and I say, Mario, finding them. How do you answer the question? Well, uh, first thing is that uh, the um, workforce development and training system, uh, of course, has a, a seat at our, uh, in our process of, of recruitment and local business retention and expansion, as, as all communities uh, have that. But I think we've, we've uh, gone a step further in San Antonio where uh, we're, we, we can point to a system that reaches down to the junior and senior level of, in high schools and we, we term that system the Alamo Academies, and we have a, a, a system for, uh, for a um, academy for uh, manufacturing, but we also have a specific academy for aerospace, as, for, as an example. And what we do there is and we're working both sides. We're, we're educating uh, the, the, the kids that uh, it's okay to go into manufacturing, and, and, and by the way, you go half day, and then uh, and then the other half day, you go to the Alamo Academy, uh, uh, either aerospace or manufacturing. You go half day to school, and, and the other half day you go uh, to the academy. And, and also, we we guarantee them a, uh, a summer internship at a manufacturer. And this is the hook for us for the 
for the Boeings and the Toyotas and the Caterpillars and all the major manufacturers that we uh, have there because we're uh, they, they provide the the uh, uh, the summer job uh, for the kids and in two years uh, when when they're ready to either go on to college they have one year's uh, of of, uh, of college credit earned in the program uh, and they can elect to go directly to work for Boeing or they can go on to uh, an associate's degree or some some type of certificate of course we we uh, utilize the uh, the associations, the San Antonio Manufacturers Association, uh, in, in the process, uh, we have a strong industry roundtable uh, uh, system uh, where we bring together uh, the chiefs of, of industry and in, in manufacturing and, 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 and engage them and keep them active uh, in the process of, of uh, in particular, uh, workforce uh, development. We just finished a, a new uh, what we term the talent pipeline uh, study, and it went beyond manufacturing into ITIS and and also healthcare and, and biosciences, which all have their their uh, their difficulties with certain occupations. But once we paint the picture, and, and by the way, we can do customized training, and, and we can do uh, on uh, just in time uh, training for uh, for companies. And when we paint that picture, it, it's a it's a strong uh, picture because when you when you think about what uh, manufacturing is in the U.S. these days, uh, it's more regional in nature. It's getting closer to your customer. It's operating from lower cost areas, operating from areas that have the infrastructure that um, the, you know, that you need, including uh, the the skill and, and talent, or, or at least the development of those skills. So it uh, it's a it's a complete picture that we try to paint for for the prospect or for the local company. Uh, Gardner, uh, to you for a moment, I know that uh, you have a certification program. Uh, the Institute of Supply Management that we work with often has a certification program that they've just updated. Quite exciting. I'd like you to share with our listeners the Manufacturing Institute certification program. Uh, sure. Uh, we actually took a slightly different approach. So what we did was rather than, than start our own, that is an NAM or Manufacturing Institute branded certification, we went out and took a look at, at the existing uh, certifications in the manufacturing market space and um, then endorsed the ones that, that we thought were the best, that offered of, uh, an independent look at it, a, a industry-sponsored, a third-party validated, you know, a number of different kind of, uh, criteria that we applied. And then uh, we selected what were ultimately 15 organizations to to endorse, and then we've spent the last several years really trying to take those credentials and embed them into what are traditional education pathways. Mm -hmm. So that if you're if you're in a welding program at a community college, uh, you are going to have the opportunity to earn a certification from the American Welding Society. In, in effect, it's the final exam of, of that program, and that um, if the students in that program are not able to earn that, then then that program needs to improve to the level that, that, that those students are able to earn it because um, that is the industry standard in welding. Um, similarly, it gives manufacturers kind of a, a confidence that, that there's a consistent level of quality coming from graduates of that program. So we found it to be a, a, a nice benchmark for, for programs to be able to meet. And then um, finally, when we looked at other industries that have uh, 
industry-based credentials, we, we found that there was a, a prestige that was attached to them. Uh, you look at IT in particular, and, and those individuals that achieve Microsoft or Cisco or Oracle certifications um, are, are really very proud of, of those, and, and they, they carry a, a prestige on, on their resume in the workplace that, that we would love to replicate um, for the, the credentials in manufacturing. So. So that that's the program that we've been working on. We've been at it for three or four years now, and um, we have um, over, I believe it was 120,000 uh, credential certifications from the groups that we endorsed issued last year. So you're talking about a pretty big, uh, pretty big sample size here as well. Yeah. Well, and I would add. Yeah, Gail, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, this very important topic that's just come up about these certifications. Um, the approach that we've taken is to focus on one of the many skill sets that are needed in the U.S. in manufacturing today. And I've mentioned it earlier, it was the advanced manufacturing and mechaforce. So we've done a deep dive there. Um, but what we're hearing with our feet on the ground being in these companies is a challenge for all of us on the phone right now um, that the actual manufacturers are not seeing the same value as we all do in giving these industry credentials. So there is work to be done uh, to convince the manufacturers uh, um, that this person should be hired be beyond someone else who has these credentials. I strongly believe in them. In the Mechaforce, uh, Mechatronics area, we're using one of uh, uh, Gardner's uh, certifications in this area, which is NIMS. So a program that, that we're doing will give the NIMS certification if that's um, what's needed. But we're not seeing it on the, the industry side yet. So work is, is ahead of us to make that happen. But I'd also like to comment on some interesting things happening in New Jersey about mechatronics um, as an area. In the middle school, we have a brand, just this fall it, it opened, a career and technical education middle school called Explore 2000 that is totally project-oriented. So it's a little bit different than a regular uh, middle school or junior high, as it's called across the country. This one, the the youngsters are learning, doing projects, and it's focused on mechatronics. It has the equipment already, which is such an important piece of how you get youngsters and those wanting to come into this career uh, to learn about because so much of what's needed in that in the manufacturing area today requires some hands-on as well as formal learning. That's the apprenticeship-type model. But you have to have the equipment, and it's very, very expensive, and, and no manufacturer will have downtime to teach people on it. They have to meet their bottom line. So this is a middle school that is focused on being a feeder to a high school, which is a call high-tech high school and a blue-ribbon career and technical education high school in Hudson County in New Jersey, um, that already has 345 ninth and 10th graders 
in a program that could potentially get them into this field. So, um, but we, we, we we're building the pipeline um, for this. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to add to this conversation about credentials because we're producing them as long, along with degrees, but we need to work with the manufacturers on understanding how important they are. Well, I, uh, I brought up my point uh, about five, ten minutes ago about what are you all doing uh, as well as other uh, associations about getting into the manufacturers. Uh, it seems as though that there's a lot of people doing a lot of good getting kids interested in manufacturing, realizing that it's not all uh, oil slicks on the floor and you don't have to wear rubber boots to make sure that steel filings don't go through your shoes. Uh, it seems that we're all doing a pretty good job on getting kids involved, but the manufacturer, he's so used to uh, Charlie out on the, the third CNC machine. Of course, Charlie's been there for 35 years. You don't have to tell Charlie what to do, and Charlie's going to be retiring in a couple of years. So I guess my question then and I, my continuing question, uh, which we can come back to, but we're going to be taking a break in a moment, uh, is how do we get the manufacturer to accept the fact that Charlie's leaving one way or another, feet first or head first, he's leaving. And they've got to get into uh, the mindset that they're going to be hiring uh, kids or young adults who don't have all of the uh, skill sets, and that's going to come with a period of time. Uh, I think they should be fortunate to recognize that at least they're getting kids involved. And, uh, you know, the millennials will go off and do their uh, college thing and go off to the Fortune 500. But without a doubt, this country needs uh, manufacturing, even though we're only, I think, at 18% manufacturing, um, just for our own uh, security, safety, homeland security, and so on. We need manufacturing kids and manufacturing companies to uh, really delve into this and build up that base. Uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, we're going to break uh, for a commercial moment, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side of the commercial. Thank you. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, 
transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Uh, Lou Weiss's company, All Metals and Forge Group, is the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio and uh, makes the show possible, and we want to thank you for that, Lou. Uh, We are talking about the skills gap here today, and we are speaking with Mario Hernandez, president of the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation. Gardner Carrick, who is Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the Manufacturing Institute, and Gail Tenenspach, who is Associate Vice President of Continuing and Distant Education for the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Um, We were talking about previously, and Lou's question really was, to the transfer of tribal knowledge, trying to move, you know, what the uh, uh, baby boomer has learned over the last 30 or 40 years in an operation to someone who's just coming into the organization. Uh, let me go to Gardner on that and, and see what kind of insight uh, he can provide from the Manufacturing Institute's perspective on that. Gardner? Yeah, uh, so unfortunately there's no easy answer to that to that conundrum. I mean, I think that there are a couple of things happening. Number one, companies are recognizing that, that, that those people are, in fact, about ready to walk out the door, as you said, so they are... They are really trying to engage in some solutions to to get people in the door. Now, that doesn't directly solve the problem of how do you capture 35 years' worth of experience and knowledge out of that that person that's about to retire and transfer it within your organization. Uh, I have seen companies that that do a pretty good job of, of, call it mentorship programs. It really aren't just about career advancement, but really about knowledge transfer. So, So how do you... Of essentially train someone in a relatively informal fashion uh, about of how to react to and work a process that is inherently um, uh, uh, experiential. So, um, uh, like I said, though, there's no formula to, from which to do this. So um, what you end up actually seeing is companies, um, when that expertise does finally leave the door, to look for alternatives to, to that approach. So that would be rather than trying to find a new pattern maker at your foundry, they go and they buy a 3D printer and print out patterns that way. So you end up having technology replace um, what is a, a skill set that you're not able to train any longer. So there's a couple of different ways to handle handle that situation, and, and each company needs to really figure out what is the most appropriate for them and, and get moving on that strategy and, and that uh, that plan. Uh, Gail, let me go to you on this very same topic. Um, you're training you know, the, the new young minds uh, to go into manufacturing. Uh, how do you address the issue of the transfer of tribal knowledge? 
I love that expression, the, the transfer of tribal knowledge. Uh, thank you. Um, we do it in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, uh, what Garrett has just said about technology replacing the old way of doing things, I see happening all the time. To have that happen even more requires the kind of work that MEP does, which deals with the managers to understand that they have to take in new technology, new ways of doing what they've done before if they're going to survive as a company. So, for example, um, uh, the Manufacturing Institute runs a fabulous program called STEP, which is about um, advancing and acknowledging the role of women in manufacturing. It stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Production, and it focuses on women manufacturers. One of the recipients last year, one of the 130, um, is a woman manufacturer from New Jersey who has a very simple, wonderful product that requires a very precise rubber ball that happens it's one of only four materials going into this product that is being used by the NFL today to help with the back problems um, of some of our greatest football players. At any event, um, the company that manufactures this very precise rubber ball does not have the most modern equipment. It has a 71-year-old man working on a 100-year-old piece of equipment to vulcanize rubber, which is part of this process. That company could not fill this winning company's, this up, upcoming company's um, um, need. And I've just heard over the weekend uh, that there will be changes because that company cannot keep this, satisfy the needs of a business that needs that component. That means that the ownership of the company has to understand how they can change their equipment. Once the equipment gets changed, then it's a different set of skills and knowledge that that T in technology in STEM requires. It is so much more advanced. And that's no longer your dirty factory floor. So these changes have to happen together. So that's one way of answering your question, that they are happening, but it, it has to be a change in the management um, who can afford, can think, can envision doing things a different way, and therefore who will be the workforce who will be enticed to do these kinds of so useful jobs and interesting jobs. The other way of answering is to tell you that we're not just focusing on um, on youngsters and the future pipeline. Uh, those of us in education have been hearing a lot about the adrift college students. That's a kind of a, the term being used where many young men and women in their 20s and their 30s acquired the the, the so needed bachelor's degree or an associate's degree but are not working in the field, can't get a job in the field that they acquired that degree in. Uh, they're working uh, behind a counter somewhere. So we are working with to reach the adrift population older 
um, to say, hey, you have some of the needs background from your general courses in school or in college to be able to excel in the new world of manufacturing. So we'll teach you a little bit more, and you can fill these kinds of gaps. So, so I just didn't want you to think we're just dealing with the pipeline. We think the adrift population and women um, uh, will be a very, very good market to help our manufacturers stay alive. So that, that's some of the examples of how we're addressing this, along with the question of the five generations at work right now, which across, is across all boards, not just manufacturing, where there's different kinds of training we and education we're providing to help um, to help facilitate the communication between the existing and aging workforce with younger employees of all ages. So it's a lot of work to be done. I'd like to throw a plug in for Manufacturing Talk Radio, being that you gave me the cue. Uh, and that is <laughs> My that pleasure. next thank you. Uh, <laughs> next week, our show is about women manufacturing. And it's going to be a two part series. And part one will be next week. And two, two will be, I believe, two weeks after that. And we're going to be talking with uh, uh, Allison Grellis, president of the Women in Manufacturing Association, mm-hmm. along with uh, Karen Norheim, executive vice president of American Crane, uh, who uh, in- inherited her position. She didn't want to be in manufacturing. Her father, uh, I'm not sure but uh, she inherited it, and she's uh, enjoying the work that she's doing, never thinking that a woman in manufacturing could uh, appreciate uh, the work that's being done. So uh, thank you for allowing me this plug. And, uh, Tim? Mario, as you talk to manufacturers coming into the San San Antonio area, um, since we're talking about manufacturing talk radio, I realize there are a lot of different companies coming into the San Antonio area, but as you talk about uh, manufacturers, do they uh, have this challenge uh, of this transfer of tribal knowledge because really they're creating a lot of new jobs, or are they bringing employees over from other states so they're going to experience the challenge? It's it's a challenge both for the new company coming in uh, because it is a national problem in in certain occupations, and it's a challenge for for the existing uh, companies. You know, one thing that that uh, that we're uh, have found very helpful is through our local business retention and expansion program. So the program that deals with local manufacturers uh, and and getting them to realize, uh, for example, the um, the number of employees that that they have that will retire soon. So we we've taken the data. In, in our talent pipeline uh, 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 initiative, beyond the counting of how many people are employed in that particular occupation and postings and likely need, uh, taking that further to uh, lay out the the retirees uh, the, the, that will have the retirements that will occur over a short period of time, so they get a more complete picture. The other thing through through our business retention and expansion program, you're not you don't get these companies to the table um, easily, and, and we all know that. We, mm. you know, we're the we're the government, or we're the in our case the the private nonprofit, and we're here to help. Doesn't work, and, and so 
uh, a complete package of, of not only having the, the correct team uh, with you in, in, in these calls, uh, but also the, the, the specific menu of what you can do. In other words, we can say to them, all right, we under, we're going we're gonna to understand your workforce to this depth. And, by the way, the incentives that, 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 are, that you typically hear applied to new companies coming in, they apply to you as well. And that's not just uh, tax abatements and financial grants, but it's also the, uh, the, the workforce uh, development and training uh, funds that are that are out there applied to you. So, if it, with that kind of uh, of detail and and uh, you know we're we're able to to, to engage the the local company as well as as the new company uh, uh, coming in and and help them. The other thing we're doing is, um, you know, we've got to, You've got to have stackable credentials. You've got to have a, a stackable programs because you're not going to solve the problems of Toyota. Toyota has uh, famously likes to say here they have 2,000 direct employees. They have 6,000 on campus with their suppliers. With their suppliers, uh, they like to say up there 2,000 direct employees, 200 are management level, no problem getting those. Eight, uh, you know, the um, 1,800, uh, excuse me, about uh, uh, about 1,700 of those are are line production employees, no problem with with those. It's that middle gap and 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 those occupations. Uh, in that in that middle gap, 100 or 200 that uh, that are so hard to, uh, to fill. Well, we're, we've developed a program for them specifically that they hire the person, but in year one they learn certain things, in year two they learn certain things. They get up to that to that level where they can uh, replace the journeyman, uh, but it's going to take uh, time because it's all about experience. And, uh, and and if the employer most of the employers that are willing to stick to that process and, and make this applicable, uh, we're finding success. Uh, Mario, let me go to you on uh, on uh, kind of two sides of a coin. In 2008, you were named one of the top 100 most influential Hispanics uh, in business magazine. Let's talk about the Hispanics for a moment. One side of the coin is Hispanics in the U.S. Uh, going into manufacturing jobs. Uh, is that a strong population on which uh, manufacturers in the San Antonio area can rely? It is, and and uh, and it, but it hasn't been easy. Just like all other uh, young kids, uh, the Hispanic uh, is uh, uh, pushed towards college, even though many of them will not attend college, and and not towards the uh, the. I'm going to I'm an old timer. Call it the vocational. Um, uh, uh, occupations that that uh, ultimately develop into the, the the people that we need at these mid-level uh, production facilities. So it is a challenge. It's been an advantage to us because it is a it is a very young population, and and you know the average age of a Hispanic female is going to be uh, six, almost seven years younger than an Anglo female, and and when you have a population of you know that's 58 percent Hispanic. Uh, it's, it attracts the attention of the, uh, of the companies along with the training programs. You can bring their skills up. And uh, also uh, it's an advantage to us because of the, the um, they're going to be the consumer of the future. It's growing so rapidly, particularly in Texas, uh, where the population of the Hispanic and, and certainly in San Antonio, San Antonio already, uh, already looks like what the country will look like in terms of 
minority uh, population. So uh, from that perspective, it's also an advantage. There's a need for Toyota to develop Hispanic talent across the board because, you know, their, their next plant is going to be in, in, in Mexico and then possibly in South America. And there's a lot of, of movement uh, of, uh, uh, to the south of us. So uh, an advantage from not only a workforce growth perspective, but also from uh, a market perspective. Well, the other flip side of that coin is uh, what's known here as nearshoring, and that is the manufacturer looking at where do I locate my plant? Do I put it in San Antonio or Los Angeles or Keokuk, Iowa, or uh, Nescales, Mexico? Uh, yes. Uh, how do you respond to the manufacturer who, who looks at those options and say to them, you really ought to be in San Antonio? It's a, it's a numbers game. You, you know, you're not... If it's a, a wire harness assembler uh, that, you know, the, the percentage of direct low-skill labor is, is very high in your product, then you're not going to compete. You know, we're, you know you're, you're looking at a, a $3 uh, fully burdened wage in, in some of the Mexican communities that are in close proximity uh, to San Antonio. Now, if, if, if it's more capital intensive, if it's dependent on, on a sophisticated infrastructure, on power, you know, we're going to supply a manufacturer with six cents, you know, power per kilowatt hour, and and it's going to be reliable, dependable. It's, uh, it's uh, in Mexico they can't get that. So, you know, you 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 look at the uh, it's a balancing act. I mean, what are, what is what makes sense? You know, what can you, what, what where can a company take chances and, and and produce in another country on solely on the savings of direct labor versus their need for market access versus uh, infrastructure and and higher skilled and and more capital intensive types of investments. So it it's, it depends on the case and and quite frankly we've just seen a lot more movement from even from China. Uh, there, there there's more there's more coming back uh, uh, to to the to the U.S. because the um, rates are, are are going higher uh, labor rates in those countries. And the advantages that a U.S. market, certainly from the a stable investment standpoint, you know, that's we're, we're viewed as one of the more stable uh, countries for uh, for for investment. That that has to count for a lot. You know, I, I can add to that um, and, and totally agree with what's just been said. Uh, at the beginning of this show, there was some mention about. A Buick <laughs> building building a Buick in China, um, but I think a good coda to that is uh, recently the Boston Consulting Group said that by year 2018, the U.S. will have a lower cost will be a lower cost producer of manufacturing goods than China. And my talent network director last year met a one of the a German banker who stated that it's cheaper to produce a BMW in America today and ship it to Europe than it is to make it in Europe. Um, and we also got heard the same thing from the German consulate in New York. Um, there is something going on, uh, but what we're hearing about the, the reluctance to open new plants, whether they be global comp manufacturers in the U.S., has to do with where is the workforce. That's what we've been saying. So it's a game. It's, it's not a game. It's a challenge to really race to be able to produce from all sectors of our economy 
Hispanic, disabled, um, women, men, workforce for this industry, which could really boom again here, we believe. Uh, several weeks ago, we did a uh, show about aerospace in Mexico. Uh-huh. And uh, in doing that show, we discovered that there are approximately 460 manufacturing aerospace manufacturing companies now in Mexico, uh, a lot of which have moved from uh, California, uh, some from Texas. But we also had somebody on from Texas, and I don't recall at the moment who it was, who said that the relationship between Texas and Mexico, aerospace-wise, that you're working to, to together. His name was... Uh, um, it's escaping me, but uh, they were talking about relationship and and uh, Texas as a good one, as a partnership. Uh, do you feel that that is uh, the case, uh, Mario? I, I do. There's a lot of synergism with uh, with uh, Mexican production, and since, since NAFTA 20 years ago opened up things, I mean that there you're as apt to get a European company. Producing a, 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 a component for uh, auto or uh, for air, aircraft or auto in San Antonio, shipping it into Mexico, as you are the opposite to have a, a, a component manufacturer in, in, in Mexico ship up to San Antonio to the Boeing facility uh, right. here. So it's it's more prevalent right now in auto. It's just exploding uh, the movement of uh, of auto and auto products to to Mexico and and, and this part of of the country, uh, but aerospace can't be far behind because of the demand there are for, for aircraft in the future. Surely. Uh, we only have uh, about two more minutes to go, and I, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you all to give us your uh, contact information for our listeners if they wanted to get in touch with you. So we are now at under two minutes. So if you can just quickly give us your either URL or your email address uh, for the benefit of our listeners. Mario, how about yours? Yeah, my, let me give you my email. It's uh, Mario H at San Antonio EDF. San Antonio EDF is one word, dot com. That's uh, my direct email. Thank you. And Gail? Um, mine, I hope, is easy. Um, it's four letters, my last name, S like Sam, P like Peter, A, K like Kelly, at N-J-I-T dot E-D-U. That's easy. And Gardner? Sure. Email is gcarrick, C-A-R-R-I-C-K, at N-A-M dot org, or you can reach me through the manufacturinginstitute.org website. We appreciate everyone being on the show. Uh, we certainly want to thank our guest, Gardner. Thank you. Thank you. And Gail, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And Mario, thank you very much. Thank I appreciate it. That wraps us up today for Manufacturing Talk Radio. We will be back again next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.